Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to episode 14 of the Beneath the Sads podcast produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today is WBZ News Radio morning sports anchor, DraftKings studio host, NBC10 Boston sports anchor, and host of the Celtics Beat podcast for CLNS Media, Adam Kaufman. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Now, Adam, based on your intro alone, you're clearly a very busy guy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. It's a great time to have you on the podcast because I know you're a big Celtics guy, but before you even get into the Celtics, how crazy was that shot by Kawhi Leonard on Sunday night? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, to see a not only a game and a playoff game, but a series and a game seven all end that way when it's Kawhi Leonard who was brought there specifically for that purpose to be the one that hit the shot. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's obviously going to go down as you know, one of the great series ending shots of all time. And I, I think it's only the second buzzing buzzer beating uh, ending game seven shot ever that we've in, in fact, maybe the first in a game seven, either way, pretty unbelievable. And uh, you know, I, from a Celtics perspective, uh, you know, it was, you could look at it, I guess, a couple of different ways. On, on the one hand, it stinks seeing the Raptors win because, you know, it, it's, I think, becoming more increasingly difficult for Kawhi Leonard, not that he couldn't, but to decide to walk away from what he is already in a year building in Toronto. And the, the idea of him staying is horrifying because it just makes Toronto a, you know, keeps them as legitimate contender going forward for however long that he is north of the border. And, you know, the other side, kind of that double-edged sword, damned if you do, damned if you don't, at the Sixers won that for Celtics fans and likely the Celtics themselves would have been that much more difficult to stomach because I, I do believe the Caesar, you know, they have they have real estate in uh, in those Sixers players' heads, and so it that you know would have had the Celtics been able to beat Milwaukee, and as we know in retrospect, they didn't come close to that. I think that would have been um, you know a little hard to take because it would have been a very winnable matchup. I think had they moved on past the Bucks and faced Toronto, they would probably would have lost that series anyway, but. Uh, it's it's good to see you, and, and like you said, a a uh, really cool way to end a game. Yeah, it was wild to see it bounce about maybe four times, right? And then and then go in. And from a Celtics fan perspective, it always is nice to see Philly lose and Philly fans unhappy. So I think if, regardless of how the players, whether they stay in the East and how it affects that, that is one positive thing. But I do want to switch gears to the misery that was the Celtics season. The season finally came to an end last week against the Bucs, and it seems like people were really ready for it to be over and focused solely on the Bruins. But what did you make of this Celtics series against the Bucs in particular in the last game? Because it really was a lousy performance by the group. And as a fan of the team, it was very frustrating and honestly embarrassing to watch the lack of effort, the poor chemistry all season long 
and it really showed in that series against the Bucks. Well, I think all of that, you know, it's it just the fact that they went out and won the first game, first five games of the playoffs, and then lost their next four was just such a perfect microcosm of of what their season was. You know, wildly inconsistent, incredibly frustrating, peaks and valleys, and uh, ultimately, you know, that series against the Pacers. I said at the time, got a lot of flack for it. You know, yes, they won. Yes, it was a, a sweep, but. They didn't play particularly well in that series and against a team that had uh, no star power at all with Victor Oladipo out. I mean, that's an all-star player. They didn't even have any secondary stars. You know, it's not like the kind of team that could rally around, you know, you think back to last year, the Celtics without Irving, without Hayward, and they go on this really magical run throughout the postseason that finished five, six minutes short of reaching the NBA Finals. Pacers weren't going to do that. I mean, that that would have been a a true Cinderella story. So the Celtics, you know, they got by basically Indiana and they go up against Milwaukee. And, you know, I think the most encouraging performance was obviously game one. They go out, they thump them in their building and started to, you know, you had Paul Pierce saying it was over. You had a lot of people really buying in. And then, uh, you know, as, as things progressed, we saw very quickly from game two on that, that was not going to be what reality was. And, and to, to go out the way they did, you know, it's not even so much that they lost. You know, very few people thought they were going to win that series, at least going into it. Again, opinions probably changed after it was 1-0. But, um, you know, to, to go out with a whimper at best, I mean, it was, like you said, the effort wasn't there. There was no fight, no determination. It was just embarrassing. It looked like players, Kyrie Irving in particular, had totally checked out. Uh, you know, as, as we've heard Terry Rozier talking on ESPN, doing the car wash and going on Get Up and First Take and other shows, uh, you know, it's it's quite clear just how deep the issues ran with that team within that locker room. I mean, he said he knew it was going to be a challenging year five minutes into the season. I, I think in a lot of different ways, it was not good for that team. And I never would have said it at the time, but I think it was not good for that team to go on the run that it did last year without its all-stars because it gave them kind of a very false sense of, you know, who they were and what they could be this year. And and it was just not a, it was a good collection of talent. It's just individual talents. You know, they were not a team. They were not a group. They were not united. And uh, that, that became clearer and clearer as the season went along and even right there in the postseason when there was just no unity. Yeah, and you talk about Terry Rozier, and I saw you were tweeting a little bit today that he was on ESPN First Take. He was on Get Up, and they've interviewed him about the team and his challenges, quote-unquote, with his reduced role because of Kyrie Irving. And honestly, when I hear that, it's a little frustrating because when you look at performances, I don't care how many minutes or shots Rozier is getting, he was one of the worst players on the team in terms of player efficiency rating. I think he had one of the worst. And so to hear that after the season is frustrating, and... As you said, it was all season long. The effort wasn't there. The chemistry wasn't there. And to say it was frustrating was an understatement. I think you you had a great interview with Kendrick Perkins on your your latest podcast, Celtics Beat, and you were talking about how, in terms of frustration with teams in Boston, this is up there with, at least in the last 20 years, from when I've been alive, my first thought was the chicken and beer Red Sox in terms of how fans were frustrated with the team, how they didn't like the team. And I did want to transition to your podcast with Kendrick Perkins. It was awesome, by the way. Everyone should check it out. It was a great interview. Thank you. Going forward, Perk talked about a couple of things. 
He talked about Durant Anthony Davis, and that made headlines a little bit. He said they wouldn't mind playing in Boston. You tweeted about that. You also tweeted, quote, can we stop talking about player destination and inevitabilities like we have a freaking clue what we're talking about, dot, dot, dot. Also, Kyrie Irving is staying with the Celtics. Hmm. So going forward, there have been reports that Kyrie is 95% likely going to the Knicks. Do you still think Kyrie will stay in Boston? If so, why? Do you want him to stay? What is your thought on the free agency period right now for the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, as far as Kyrie Irving goes and, and that tweet that you mentioned, obviously, while I do believe that, and I'm, I'm in a very small camp, um, you know, I do believe that Kyrie Irving is staying. That's not an informed opinion. That's right. just an opinion. And that, you know, that speaks to the point of, of what that tweet was. You know, the first half of that tweet was was discussing the fact that everybody assumed, you know, a couple of years back that, Russell Westbrook, as soon as he was going to be a free agent, was going to go to the Lakers. And Paul George, as soon as he was going to be a free agent, was going to go to the Lakers. And you know what? Both of them re-upped with Oklahoma City. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, everybody assumed one-year stopgap in Toronto, and then it's off to L.A. Maybe that will be a reality, but at least as of right this moment, it's not far-fetched to think that he could re-sign with the Raptors. And so it, it just speaks to, we don't know what we're talking about. I, I don't think. <laughs> You know, again, like is am I going to say that that Stephen A. Smith or Brian Windhorst, you know, who respectively have brought up the ideas of him going to the Knicks and him going to the Lakers are are clueless? Of course not. They're, you know, very well connected uh, in the NBA community. That being said, I think what you need to drill down on and this does not support the hot take phenomenon of of the culture that we live in. What does Kyrie Irving want? What you know? What does he intend to do? And honestly, and I I say this with more confidence and conviction than anything as it surrounds Kyrie. I don't think he knows. I really don't. You know, as as we talk right now, he may have an inkling that he wants to go to the Knicks or the Nets or one of the LA teams, the Mavericks or whatever other team that has salary cap space. But I don't believe that that means his opinion is going to be the same. A week from now, and right now, you know, we're we're talking in mid-May. His he cannot sign somewhere until July first. So much can change and will change between now and July one. He's going to have conversations with Brad Stevens. He's going to have conversations with Danny Ainge. He's going to have conversations with teammates. There's going to be the Anthony Davis, you know, drama and and all of that. There's going to be trades that are made on draft night. There are going to be conversations that he has with people outside the organization, like Kevin Durant, like LeBron James, like whomever else. I don't think Kyrie Irving in this moment has a clue definitively, nor would I expect him to, what he's going to do on July 1st, which is why all of this, you know, from any national talking head or, or local Boston talking head or, you know, you or anyone else, like it's it's all, all we're doing is, is speculating and everybody is emotional right now on, on the weight that they went out. And, you know, there are even a, a, you know, a majority of Celtics fans that in my mind delusionally <laughs> want him gone and are, are wishing that he leaves, which I think is so short sighted for a variety of reasons, not limited to his talent and salary cap implications that it's a guessing game. It's a giant guessing game because this is a guy who, you know, we've seen it for two years now and saw it in Cleveland before that. This is a guy who 
feels what he feels one day and expresses it and feels something totally different the next. It's why, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was, I, I want to, you know, have my number 11 retired to the rafters, making the Nike commercial with his dad and, and announcing to season ticket holders that if you'll have me, I intend to resign to, I'm tired of putting up with all this BS and uh, I don't have to deal with this and ask me July 1st about my future. And at the end of the year, I'm just looking to get back to Boston safely. And I'm not thinking about any of that stuff right now. This dude does not know what he wants. I think that is the bottom line. I agree. And I think it's a good point. And I think you even talked about in your podcast how the Celtics went with Kyrie's mood swings. And it really speaks to how reactionary he is. And one minute he wants to be here, one minute he doesn't. It depends on how they were playing, how he was feeling. It does feel like because they went out on such a rotten note in such a tough way that I have a hard time seeing him come back. But I do agree that right now it's hard to say he may not even know. And obviously his talent is unbelievable that to have him for the future would be nice. Obviously there's a lot of frustrations with Celtics fan. I can put myself in that group of wanting Kyrie out of here. But if you look at it logically and what's the best for the team, it might probably is Kyrie staying. So it will be interesting to see what the free agency period looks for him. But I wanted to end the podcast by transitioning to your career a little bit, Adam. So sure. please correct me if I have any of this inaccurate. But from what I have seen, you graduated from Syracuse University in 2004. Yep. And you've had many different jobs in the sports media field, such as working at the Providence Bruins, Nesson, NBC Sports Boston, Boston.com, CBS Sports Radio, and you were very well known for your job at 98.5 The Sports Hub, hosting your own Celtics show every Saturday. What have you taken away about the sports media industry from your many different jobs? What do you think is the key to making it in the field? Huh. Um, there's there's a lot that runs through my head all at once. A, you know, <laughs> I, I, well, for starters, obviously, just to you know, quote unquote, make it. And how many of us, have, right. you know, have I don't even know truly how we even define that short of being able to you know, cash a check, I guess the way that I would define it is, you know, being able to do what you love and do it where you, where you want to do it. I mean, my dream was always to, uh, I don't know if it was to do exactly what I'm doing right now. And I, I don't say that as a slight, I love what I'm doing, but you know, like my, my dream growing up, my dream, even into college at Syracuse was, you know, I want to be the TV play-by-play announcer of the Red Sox. You know, I, I effectively, you know, I want to be Sean McDonough basically. And, um, you know, at least that's who it was at the time. You know, as we know, he's, he's doing different things now, but, um, you know, my, I still get asked even by my parents at times and I'm 37 years old. So, you know, what is it that you really like doing? What is it you really want to do? Because as you said, I, I do a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, to me, I really like the variety. I like that every day is a little bit different. I like that obviously the nature of working in sports is that it's unpredictable, even if, you know, some elements of my day are predictable, you know, what you're going to see over the course of that day and the way games are going to unfold, like game three for the Bruins and, and Hurricanes tonight as, as we chat right now, you know, we can sit here and, and speculate, hell, Kyrie Irving's future. Like we can have a whole conversation about it for hours on end. We don't know what's going to happen until it happens. And that's one thing that I really like about sports. And it's one thing that, that has drawn me to, to, you know, quote unquote, working in it. Cause you know, it, it never really feels like a job, but uh, it's, you know, it's all kind of a, a long rambly way of saying that, you know, my goal has always been continues to be just 
enjoying going to work and doing what I'm doing and, and having fun with it and, and genuinely liking it and not having it feel like work, which is something that knock on wood to this point I've achieved. And hopefully that continues, you know, it's, it's not, you don't get into this business for the money. If you're lucky, you'll make some along the way, but it's, it's not why you should get into this business because if you're just chasing dollars the whole time, you're not, uh, you know, odds are it's not going to pan out for you, but you know, you got to be willing to, and I'm, I'm sort of segueing obviously into the advice element of things, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, you got to be willing to move around and step outside of your comfort zone and, and travel around the country and, and do things you didn't think you wanted to do because you never know where that's going to lead you and maybe into a place that you really love that you never considered. I've done a lot of things in my career that I never would have pursued that I've really enjoyed. And uh, it's as far as the industry, it, it's it's constantly evolving. It's a lot different now than it was when I got into it 15 years ago, at least out of school at that point. And uh, it's, it's going to be a lot different 15 years from now as well in, in ways that I can't even imagine. So uh, I love it. I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, there's nowhere I'd rather do it than covering these Boston sports teams because these are the ones that I genuinely care about that I grew up watching. In what ways did you step outside your comfort zone in your career? Were there certain jobs that you took a chance on that have worked out to be great? Are there certain things you've learned from certain experiences that didn't, you didn't expect before you did it? Yeah, I mean, my like I said, my goal in school was to be a play-by-play announcer, specifically right. baseball, and I did that right out of school in uh, the low minors, you know, single A, uh, New York Penn League, which is rookie ball, and uh, you know, I, I did that in Auburn, New York, which is not far from Syracuse, and and so basically stayed there after graduation, and you know, but when that season ended, which was effectively an internship, um, you know, it was what's next, and I was kind of thinking anyway, I was going to wait until uh, the next baseball season or, or chase a basketball job. And it just so happened one that kind of fell into my lap was a hockey play-by-play opportunity. And hockey at that time was far and away the sport I knew the least about, had never even attempted to broadcast it. You know, I, I watched the Bruins casually, but I was not a, a diehard fan by any stretch. And, um, you know, took this opportunity because why wouldn't I? And it was in Michigan where, uh, you know, I, I was going to be going there not knowing anybody and turned out to be a, a, uh, the, the start of a, a really interesting and, and fun, um, hockey journey for me that, that took me to, uh, all sorts of places around the country that I'd never been, but not only that as, as a visitor, but to live. I mean, I accepted a job over the phone uh, a couple years later, broadcasting a, for a team in the Central Hockey League that's not there anymore, but the Amarillo Gorillas uh, in Texas. I had never, you know, even heard of Amarillo at that point in time. I had never... Um, you know, I, I didn't know anybody there at all. Didn't even go out there for a job interview. It was all done over the phones. And I, you know, accepted it sight unseen and, and up and, you know, moved to Texas, however many thousand miles away from home. And uh, all right, here we go. I mean, so that's a, a perfect example of uh, stepping outside your comfort zone. I came to love it. And, you know, fortunately, different opportunities along the way led me back here, which was always the ultimate goal. But it uh, is it's 
and an unpredictable journey that uh, anybody takes when when you enter the communications business, be it TV, radio, print, digital, whatever it may be. You never know where it's going to take you. You just you know work your ass off and hope for the best, and uh, you know maybe a couple things break your way. Now I've got two more questions for you, Adam. If you have the time, I, w- I want to wrap this up because I know you're a very busy guy. I had to ask about your kids because I know on your Twitter page you have family first and then you list your jods. You talk about your six-year-old son, four-year-old son. They seem adorable and huge Boston sports fans. You tweet about them all the time. Do you watch games any differently now that your kids are into the game? Do they recognize that you're a sports personality? I know they're still very young. Yeah, I, well, I appreciate you bringing them up, and and hopefully those tweets are more entertaining to people than annoying. Although everybody oh, on Twitter, so <laughs> you never know. But um, you know, I, I really do it for my own amusement, and, and hopefully, a couple <laughs> other people chuckle along the way. But it, uh, you know, I, I I guess I would say the way that I watch games differently with them, and and in particular my six year old. I mean, I, I at least, and everybody I assume is different, so I can only speak to my experience. You know, as as a father and with kids and. You know, some people's kids aren't remotely interested in sports, and maybe some it starts at an even younger age. I mean, for me, with my kids, it it seemed like four was kind of that age where they started to uh, really have an an interest in, okay, who are the teams, maybe going to some games, um, you know, who are a couple of the stars, like a Tom Brady, for instance, and you know, that was kind of it, you know, not necessarily sitting there and watching games. And then, you know, come five years old, it was, I want to know a lot more about, you know, who are some of the other guys like, you know, with my now six-year-old, it wasn't just Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward. Like, I want to know who Marcus Morris is and Marcus Smart and like who, you know, like list out the whole roster for me. I don't just want to know who the stars are and, and, and actually sitting and watching games just you know even if it was just an excuse to stay up a little later it was you know let's sit there and and not just have a cartoon on let's let's watch a game and then you know now as you noted you know my oldest being six now what's really different is watching games with him is he just he asks a lot of really good insightful questions you know about strategy to the game and you know why is this happening or even just basic things that you know, we as, as adults, um, you know, take for granted that is not necessarily as simple for a six-year-old who's, you know, learning math and learning how to read and learning stats and learn whatever, like a, you know, even something as, as dumb and basic for us as, you know, okay, the Bruins are in the playoffs right now. So they're up to nothing on the hurricanes. So, you know, if, so it's it's a best of seven, right? So they need to win four in order to go to the next round. But if they lose this series, they're done. They don't get to go for the cup. Uh, you know, like a lot of the, you know, just, you know, you 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 sort of, you watch the hamster on the wheel and, and you look at <laughs> them, you know, connect the dots. And, and to me, that's just, that's so cool and so much fun as as a dad because, Obviously, I have such a passionate interest in sports and, um, you know, whether theirs is legitimate or whether they're just kind of uh, looking to to something to bond with me over, you know, time will tell. But 
uh, at, at least right now, it's it's very cool. And and the other part of your question, did they, I don't know that they see me as a, a personality per se, and I, I wouldn't want them to, but they, right. you know, I, I think there is an acknowledgement that, oh, you know, like daddy's on the radio or daddy's on TV. And, and that's just normal to them because, you know, whatever our parents do is what's normal to us. Like it's, you know, if you're Tom Brady's kid, like having your dad being the best football player in the history of the game is what's normal to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. And keep, well, keep up the great tweets. They're always entertaining. They're one of my yeah, favorite tweets, especially when your kid asks <laughs> certain questions and you, and you talk about it on Twitter. So it's fantastic. Now I have one more question for you. I had to ask about the Avengers. I noticed yeah. you are a big fan. At least you talked about it on Twitter. Yeah. This is going to be a spoiler question. So if any of those have not seen it, which at this point, I don't know what to tell you. It's been a long time, <laughs> but don't listen to this question. Yeah, there you go. You tweeted this recently. Spoiler-free thoughts on Avengers Endgame. Exceptional, emotional, entertaining, great writing, tremendously satisfying conclusion to Marvel's Phase 3. Left you wanting more, even after three hours. Don't need to stay through credits. Now, I thought it was unbelievable. I thought it really gave you everything you wanted, as you said in that tweet. I needed to ask you about the ending. What were your thoughts on Iron Man dying and then Captain America coming back as an old man? Yeah, the... I mean, you knew somebody was going to die, obviously, multiple somebodies. And, you know, Black Widow earlier in the movie was a little bit of a surprise. Um, you know, I everybody assumed, you know, the, the, you know, the nerds of us that followed this stuff, everybody assumed it was going to be Captain America that, that wound up biting the dust at some point in this movie. But I actually really liked the way they did it because it was, you know, to kill off Iron Man, Tony Stark, you know, it was after his journey from the very beginning and, you know, really kind of giving it that full circle and uh, effectively bookending, you know, the original Iron Man with Endgame with the I Am Iron Man and, and just the, the way that his everything started for him to the way and, you know, he saved the world for the umpteenth time at this point. And, uh, you know, the, the guy who was was always viewed as is just so self-centered so selfish and he was but to um be willing to sacrifice to the degree that he did so frequently as well you know would sometimes get lost so the way that they highlight that and 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 you know put the uh the the bow on it i really liked as far as um you know steve rogers returning as an old man i, I mean i uh, I, again, nothing in these movies, even the three hour movie, there are no wasted scenes, you know, everything they do serves a purpose, you know, even right down to like happy talking with uh, Stark's daughter about eating a cheeseburger, like everything right. is a little Easter egg going back to a reference in one of the other 21 movies that preceded this one, which, um, you know, is very diligent writing and, and interesting and something that, you know, for, for those that watching or diehards and I'm not, but, but from what I understand talking to people is something that is really missing from game of Thrones at this point is, you know, just that, that continued, um, you know, run toward, or, or at least attempt toward perfection and giving everything meaning, um, you know, like in the moment, did I need Steve Rogers dancing with Peggy Carter back when he went back and, and lived in this alternate timeline? Not really, but you know, in the earlier Captain America movies, he referenced them never getting that dance that obviously they wanted to have. And so, okay, it's another thing that they gave us and, and him 
handing off the shield to Falcon and not Bucky and following the comic book storyline uh, a little bit that way. I mean, again, like we could ramble on about any <laughs> topics you're asking me about, um, but the, you know, to, to make a very long winded answer, just a, a little bit shorter. I think they did a good job with it. I, I liked infinity war better, but I thought they were both terrific, you know, and you know, to, to bring most noteworthy to bring 21 movies into focus and tie everything up so beautifully in a 22nd with that number of impactful characters who so many of them had standalone movies themselves or, or ensemble movies themselves. Like, I mean, this, it won't be because it's not the way Hollywood works and the foreign press and all of that, but it like, this should be a best picture nominee, if not winner. And, um, you know, just because it's such a, a, an amazing cinematic achievement, but it's, you know, that's just not how it works. <laughs> well, great stuff, Adam. You're not just a Celtics guy or a Boston sports guy. Clearly you can talk about the Avengers and movies as well. I agree. It could even have gone four hours in my opinion. It was that good. But yeah, hopefully the director's got, man. Is there anything else going on you want people to know about? Not in particular. I think just, you know, toss me a, a follow or at least pay attention on, on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman because generally that's where I spew 280 character versions of all these thoughts. And, uh, you know, it never never hesitate to engage like you did. And, and uh, you know, who knows where we'll strike up a conversation next. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Adam. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Well, make sure to follow Adam Kaufman on Twitter, as he said, at Adam M. Kaufman, and tune in to the Celtics Beat podcast on CLNS Media, and just make sure to follow all of his content. Adam, thanks again. Happy to do it. Thanks to Adam Kaufman again for joining me on the podcast. It was great to hear his perspective on the team and his frustration so I could really vent with him. And he, I thought he gave a very interesting take on the Celtics free agency and Kyrie Irving and why he thinks he may stay in Boston. And the fact that Kyrie Irving probably doesn't even know, and I'd have to agree. And when you looked at Kyrie Irving all season long, we've seen that he's very indecisive. He's very reactionary to the moment, almost like a sports talk show host in Boston who may react to a big game. So the free agency period should be very interesting. But I wanted to give a final recap to finish the podcast about the whole season. This is probably going to be the last time I talk about the team until there's more nonsense going on with Kyrie Irving and free agency rumors. As I talked about in the podcast, the Celtics were going to lose the series. Once they were down 3-1, it was over. The big game was 2-1. Once they lost that, this team didn't have enough character and resolve and chemistry to come back from down 3-1. And the game, the deciding game last week, as I said with Adam, it was embarrassing to watch, but it really summed up the frustration with the team all season long. And... Yes, it was surprising how bad they looked, and you would have expected them to come out a little bit better season on the line last game. You wouldn't expect them to put their worst performance up, and they probably had one of their worst performances of the season, if not the worst performance of the season. They just couldn't score. And I want to start with the player efficiency ratings for the players from the regular season into the playoffs, and especially comparing those numbers to what they did previously. I think player efficiency rating is a good stat to look at because guys are taking dif different amount of shots. Guys are getting different minutes. There's a lot of talent in this team. So to look at simply points production is not as 
useful as a stat like player efficiency, which is looking at how efficient is the team, how efficient are the players when they come into the game, how are they doing in certain amount of shots, certain amount of minutes. And I'm just going to read through these stats right now to look at how this team did individually, because we saw it on the court, but let's look at statistics to see how this backs this up. So as I look at the player efficiency ratings here, and I made a list of what guys did last season, what they did this season, the regular season, and what they did in the postseason. Kyrie Irving was similar in the regular season. Other guys like Jalen Brown or Tatum decreased a little bit. Razier was absolutely terrible and dropped off dramatically. Hayward dropped off. But now I want to look in the playoffs because to me, it was very easy to see the issues in the playoffs. And to me, this is the most interesting thing to look at in terms of how efficient were these guys. So when you look at player efficiency rating, I'm just going to list them off. 15 is the average of player efficiency rating in terms of this stat. Kyrie Irving, in his previous playoff stint with the Cavs, had a 21.3 player efficiency rating. This past season, I think he was 24. Past season, he's 25. 30 was about the best this year with Giannis. Kyrie Irving player efficiency rating went down to 15.7, which is an average player. So his efficiency dropped dramatically, and he was terrible. Jalen Brown had a 13.05, decreased a little bit. Jason Tatum had a 13.56 player efficiency, decreased a little bit. Marcus Morris had an 18.26 player efficiency rating. His increased a lot, and he was the best of anyone on the team, and that was very clear based on his play. Al Horford had a 14.3 player efficiency rating. But again, it was a decrease a little bit. Marcus Smart had a 3.29. Horrible. Terry Rozier had an 8.76. Brutal. Gordon Hayward had a 9.95. Brutal. So when you sum up all that information, Horford and Morris came to play. Everyone else didn't. Hayward, Smart, Rozier offensively were terrible. Obviously, Smart gave fight and he didn't play a lot. But when you look at the team overall, from the season and into the playoffs, not only did guys besides Morris or Horford not increase their play, but they decreased it. And this is the main point I want to pin home here to end the podcast, is that Jalen Brown's in his third year. Jason Tatum's in his second year. We saw this team get to the Eastern Conference Finals of Game 7 last season. Now they're losing to the second round with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. So what went wrong? We wanted to see growth in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and we didn't see it. And in fact, we almost saw a decrease in production during the season in the playoffs. And people gave Jason Tatum specifically a lot of hype because he had a great playoff series last year. But I've been railing on the guy all season long and how he takes too many shots, he dribbles the ball too much, he holds on to the ball, it's reluctant passing. He may make the pass, but he doesn't do it in first instinct. And to me, that was the problem with his team all season long. And I talked about how Kendrick Perkins was on Adam Kaufman's podcast, Celtics Beat Podcast for CLNS Media. And one of the things Perk talked about how they made reluctant passes. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of guys taking turns. If their shot isn't there, they might pass it, but that's not their first thought. Their first thought is to get mine. And last season, they played with great chemistry. They didn't have Gordon Hayward. Kyrie Irving got hurt. Young guys were just establishing themselves, so they didn't have the ego. They didn't need the shots. They were just playing well, and they're talented players, and they were playing together. Terry Rozier is very confident, as I said, but this season with a limited role. And now he's talking about his limited role, but he played terribly. Probably the worst on the team. When I look at what went wrong with his basketball team, it's the team became less efficient. All those player efficiency numbers went way down. And when you put that all together, that means you're a less efficient basketball team. When you try to figure out what efficiency means, it's playing together. It's making the most of your opportunities. It's taking good shots. Taking advantage of your minutes. 
playing together. Teams that are efficient play together, move the ball, make the extra pass. And all season long, this team wasn't efficient. They weren't making the extra pass, and you saw in the playoffs. And when I look at who's to blame, number one, you got to go with Kyrie Irving. That is 100% the first side to blame. He wanted the spotlight in the playoffs. People have talked about it all the time. He didn't show up. He shot horribly. He became basically an average player based on efficiency. He missed tons of shots. He kept shooting. He was 8 for 22, 7 for 22. Horrible shooting percentages against the Bucs. They needed this guy to step up, and he didn't. Kyrie Irving's number one. Number two, I think you got to go with Gordon Hayward. Yes, this guy came back from an injury, but if you're good to play, then play. So... At the end of the day, if he's out there and he thinks he can play, then we're going to put him up to the standard of what he thinks he should be. And plenty of guys come back from an injury the next year and play. So at a certain point, the sympathy for Hayward goes away. And he better show up next year because he's got a big contract and he's going to be up with one of the worst contracts in all the sports. And if he doesn't come out ready to play from next season, fans are going to let him hear it because the sympathy for Hayward is gone. He seems like a good guy. He didn't complain a lot. And his injury was horrific. So that's why fans weren't on him as much during the season. Next season, fans will be done. And that's number two. Because they needed this guy to step up, and he didn't. Kyrie Irving's one. Gordon Hayward's two. Number three, even before Brad Stevens, I give it to the young guys. Terry Rozier was just on Get Up. He was just on ESPN First Take talking about how challenging it was that he had to deal with this limited role. Suck it up. Play in the limited minutes. Be efficient. Take advantage of your opportunity. You're not going to be a starter. You're not even that good, Rozier. You did well in a certain amount of time. Plenty of guys do well in a certain amount of time. He's not a starter in this league. I'm sorry. He's not. He could be a good bench player if he has his role. I am so down on Rozier right now, and you hear this guy talk about how he sacrificed so much for the team. To me, it drives me nuts because he was terrible. Probably the worst on the team, as I said. So you need to learn how to play with better players and learn to play within your role. Yes, I give Irving criticism for how he treated his teammates, how he affected team chemistry, how he was ball dominant and didn't show up in the playoffs. But Rozier deserves blame. Jalen Brown, who's always been my guy who I like, I don't think he deserves as much of the blame, but you put him in as one of the young guys. Who knows what's going on behind the locker room? I give Jason Tatum a ton of blame after he met with Kobe over the summer, worked with Kobe. Now he thinks he is Kobe, thinks he's one of the superstars. You're not, Tatum. Sorry to tell you, but you're not that good. And anyone who says he's that good, I don't know what you're watching. He had good spurts, and I can see why he could be a talented player. Is he going to be an all-star? Maybe. But if you're going to trade someone, I would get Tatum out of here. I have no problem for trading, trading for a superstar. And this whole Tatum talk from before of how he's untouchable to me was always so ridiculous because I never saw it with this guy. And yes, he's a talented player, but there's plenty of good young guys who can shoot and score. An inflated sense of self. So I put Tatum and Brown and Rozier in the young guys in that list. Then next up, I put Brad Stevens, the head coach. And in terms of putting blame, what percentage of all this is per guy? I don't know. You can figure it out. Brad Stevens absolutely deserves a ton of blame. And I said it from the very beginning of this season that if Brad Stevens deserves credit and gets all the praise for having an overachieving group, then when there's a massive underachievement like this, especially... In a sport like basketball, where I know people say there's a lot of talent, but a team with basketball is having a match group, five guys playing well together, managing egos in an ego-driven NBA league. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it from the get-go. And clearly his team had no roles. And we talked about it from the beginning. It was very apparent. And now guys are talking about it. Guys like Rozier thought he was better than he was. That he Clearly he did not know his role to come off the bench. And guys like Jason Tatum, thinking they're better than they are, don't know their role. Jalen Brown, he's going to get his, and I love Brown, but again, thinks he's a superstar, 
taking a ton of shots. I like that Brown takes quicker decisions than Tatum, but again, taking a lot of shots. A couple of guys that I think you deserve credit is number one, Al Horford, and Al is Al, and he was great in the playoffs, and I have no blame with Al. And Marcus Smart, we know his efficiency is an offense, but I have no blame with him, and I talked about Morris as well. So I give Morris, Smart, and Horford some credit. Beyond those guys, you combine it with Kyrie and Gordon, the young guys in Rozier, Brown, and Tatum, Brad Stevens for not having the guys play well together and meshing them well together. And finally, to top it all off, I think you got to give a little criticism to Danny Ainge. And he is the blast on my list, so I don't put a ton of criticism on him because his job is to get talent, and that's what they have. But the whole problem all year is they didn't have role guys, and that puts a lot of pressure on Brad Stevens to make that happen. And yeah, you can put all the blame on Brad, and you can put all the blame on the young guys, but look at the types of guys they had. And Charles Barkley said in the very beginning of this a million times that they have too many guys that don't have defined roles. They didn't have enough guys like Aaron Baines or Marcus Smart. They had too many guys that are talented offensive players, but weren't offensively talented enough to make the most of their opportunities. And with this inflated self-ego, with the young guys playing better, Last year in the playoffs, than they really are giving this inflated sense of self. Young guys like Tatum and Brown and Rozier who want to elevate their games and be that guy. And Hayward's hurt and he can't play, but he needs to get minutes. And then Kyrie's nonsense of being a leader who's a terrible leader and the chemistry issues and saying stuff in the locker room to the media guys. And he doesn't trust his teammates and they don't trust him. And this escalates and you get on a losing streak. And then finally things start to come together in the playoffs and they played poorly against the Bucs, and the team identity was never set from the beginning. They didn't have to find roles that when they got into a tough situation, as we said, when they needed resiliency, they could not show it. And winning the first game and losing four in a row is so typical of this team for what they showed all season long. And I was very optimistic about the group, and I shouldn't have been. Because if you saw the play all season long, this is what they were. No identity, no team role. And you can divide up the blame as much as you want. I just gave it there in terms of my order. And when I'm looking for this team next season, and we just talked about with Adam Kaufman, do I want Kyrie gone personally, emotionally? Yes, absolutely. The team played better without him last year. Does that mean they're a better team without him? Absolutely not. They're better with him when he's playing well. They're better with him when the chemistry is good and guys can coexist. And they're not winning a championship without him if they don't get another superstar. However, what it's like right now, they're not going to make it anyway. So why would you keep a guy like that who's so miserable to everyone and keep him around? So yeah, if I want to keep Kyrie Irving simply because I want to win. And if we can't get someone else because we need Kyrie, then fine. Then ship the young guys out of here. Something needs to change. Either get rid of Kyrie, sign someone else, keep Kyrie, get rid of the young guys. They talked about on Felger and Maz. We will learn to forgive. I don't care how annoying you are with the media, how excruciating it is to listen to you on a day-to-day basis like it was Kyrie Irving. If you are a guy like David Price, who was killed by Boston media, Guys like John Lackey, who people can stand. People actually liked Kyrie Irving last year. So there have been players who have overcome this hatred in the city. Now, the issue here is if he does end up staying, what do they do with the rest of the group? But I think he's gone. He may not know, as Adam said. Who knows? But until then, it's going to be an interesting offseason. And hopefully they will not have the same group because this was unbearable to watch from a fan. And the end of the season was as frustrating a game as I have ever seen. And I'm just there yelling to myself, waiting for the season to end. So let's go Bruins. Looks like they're going to win. Red Sox are playing great. Let's get the parade on the calendar. Get the sick day or the personal day off. Should be one more parade in Boston. Good riddance to the Celtics. Let's go Bees. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website. 
or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKinker for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.